Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies. Touchdown, 49ers. 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast back on the air. With St. Nappy, this is Al Sacco here with you for the last week of the 2020 regular season. Thank God. <laughs> it's been a long year, guys. It's been a long year. But I'll tell you what, there's going to be a lot of things going on this offseason. It's a critical offseason for this team. And I can't wait to talk about it with our guest today. One of my favorite people, and I'm not just saying that because he's on the show right now, just one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter. So knowledgeable. Can't wait to see what he has to say about all this stuff. He is a former NFL cornerback. He runs the Crocker Report, and he is one half of the Striking Gold podcast. Our friend, Eric Crocker. Croc, what's up, buddy? What's up, guys? Man, thanks for having me on. It's been a while. It has Mm -hmm. been a while. Last time I think we talked was when we did the fourth and nine roundtable, which was before the draft. So it's been a while. There's so much I want to throw at you. Um, One thing I do want to say, Croc, I don't know if you remember this or not. Do you remember we were talking about receivers on that roundtable? And I was like, I love Jerry Judy. I love his route running. And you were like, hold up hold up. You were talking about his hands and all these guys that you think would be better than them, better than him. Dude, you were so right on that. We got Jefferson, we got Ayuk, and that's just the type of things that you you bring. You're just, you're so knowledgeable with every position group. And just one of the things that I got to start out with asking you is, and this is the big question for everybody, what's going to happen with quarterback at this team? Are they going to run it back with Jimmy? Are they going to draft someone? Are they going to get a vet? So what do you think in terms of just Jimmy as a whole? And what would you do if you were Kyle Shanahan this offseason? You know, I, okay, so I think I would do what I think they're going to do, which is I believe they are going to keep Jimmy Garoppolo around. I strongly believe that. But I also feel like they are going to put some resources into the quarterback position early in the draft if it falls their way. I'm not sure that they are going to be willing to do what we all want them to do, which is like, hey, Trade up to number two and, you know, just be able to get a guy that you really like. I don't know if they're going to just do that. But if a guy starts to fall down and I think they have a, you know, pretty good, uh, uh, they, they like the guy a lot. Like say it's, you know, Fields or, or Lance, right? Maybe you see one of those guys starting to slide a little bit. I think they will possibly move up for that guy. And he won't have to play right away because he can sit behind Jimmy. So if I had to guess, I would say that's the way they go. now. If one of those guys aren't falling and these guys all fly off the board, you know, the top four guys in the first six picks, I can see them just in the mid round um, drafting the quarterback and kind of seeing what they get out of that. So that's kind of just my my uh, thought process on that and how, how I think they're going to go about it. What do you think of Jimmy, though, as a whole? What, what's your opinion on him in, in, in terms of what you've seen and, and where you think he's going in the future? Well, with Jimmy, he, you know, his biggest thing is, he he's just not very durable, right? I mean, that's the mm-hmm. I, I said something to someone on Twitter, and I was like, "Hey, man, like since Jimmy Garoppolo, I, I actually said this earlier today. I was like, since Jimmy Garoppolo took over as a starter, the 49ers have lost more games than they've won." Yep. You know, like, whoa, like he has a winning record. And I'm like, well, yeah, he has a winning record, but he hasn't been able to start every game. And to me, that's a big issue when you are putting that much money and investing that much into a position. And you can't count on the guy to stay healthy. That's issue number one. Issue number two is, I think a lot of times last year where guys like myself, I defended him until I was blue in the face. And then you kind of just see how things play out with, uh, you know, the, the taking the ball out of his hands against the, the Minnesota Vikings. Um, not throwing the ball at all against the Packers. We can say why we feel they did it or whatever. But at the end of the day, those are things that are, they should be kind of red flags in the sense of how a quarterback, I mean, a coach feels about his quarterback. So, and, and then when you look at just some of the comments that Kyle has made, it seems as if, hey, yeah, I like him. I know I can win with him, but if we can do better, I'm going to do better. And I don't, I'm not 100% sold on this guy being the future quarterback. So there's just a lot of different ways to kind of look at it, but I don't think they're sold on him. And I think a lot of it is just his play has been kind of mediocre, I guess. Um, the explosive plays that the 49ers have are more so schemed up for him than plays that he's creating, right? You don't see plays where he's, you know, 
oh, I'm just going to drop back and air it out or throw the ball downfield. And, you know, we kind of been making excuses for him. Well, that's not Kyle's offense. But then when you look at the Falcons, like they were doing it. When he was with mm-hmm. the Redskins and RG3 or uh, watching the football team, they were doing it. And he scaled back a lot on that with Garoppolo. Why? I think because Garoppolo might be a little limited. So there are things where he's limited uh, physically with his abilities. He's limited in the sense of um, uh, his ability to stay healthy. And he's taking up a decent amount of cap space, not anything crazy, but enough to where it's like, well, I, I don't know. I don't know what we got going here. And, you know, he's, he's just not playing enough. So, yeah, there's a lot of question marks I have. Now, for Garoppolo, what he reminds me of, and they're not the same quarterback. I'm not saying this. The situation reminds me of Alex Smith in the sense that if you have the right pieces around him, you can win. But with the limitations of those two quarterbacks, you're always kind of looking to improve. You're always kind of looking for somebody else. And back in 2012, the Niners were what? Under Harbaugh, I think 19 and 6 and 1 or something like that with Smith. But then Kaepernick came in and and he offered more things than Smith did. And I feel that's kind of where they are now. Isn't it kind of the same thing where just he's, it's sort of Alex Smith all over again where you see these limitations and you're like, look, we're doing okay, but we can take the next step with somebody else. Definitely. I actually made that comparison on Twitter like the other day. And there were a lot of people like, he's way better than Alex Smith. And I'm like, hold on. Like, I'm, I'm comparing the scenarios, right? The situations where Alex Smith, in two different organizations has been a guy where they're like, you know what? We like you, but if we can improve, we will, and we will move on. And I think that's definitely the situation that Garoppolo is in right now where I like Garoppolo. I don't think he's terrible. There are a lot of guys I feel like that are kind of ripping him and tearing him down, saying what he is in and all this, that, and the other. I think for the most part, what he is, is, you know, he, he, you definitely can win with him and he has shown that, but you also look at other quarterbacks and be like, man, wish my quarterback did that, right? I mean, we've all had those moments where you're watching these other young quarterbacks. And like, you know what? Not to, it would be kind of nice to have one of these guys. And I think more so than anything, these other guys are playing. They're not hurt all the time. So, yeah, I think he definitely kind of leaves the door open to where what happened with Alex Smith, he's making that be something that everybody's thinking about, you know? So with – Everybody kind of agreeing so far on the show. I have to be the contrarian here. And Croc, you know where I where you know where I stand on this. Right. And with regard to Jimmy's development, I think number one, we we the injury thing is legitimate. I think that's one thing that everybody can agree on. He's just not on the field enough. But with regard to his development, we have to look at okay, well, he's had 32 starts. And the way that I look at this is snaps that you take from the bench or in the film room are not equivalent to live bullets, right? And you can attest to that. You played the game, you know that. But the fact that like he's only played 32 games and now he's apparently shown enough on tape for people to find out what he is and what he isn't. I feel like it takes more than 32 games to find out what a, what a good quarterback is. I don't think Jimmy's a bad quarterback. Like you said, there's guys treating him like he's a one-win quarterback. Like he's Ryan Leaf, right? And he's not, he's not that. He's much better than that. But I feel like if you look at the way Steve Young progressed, and granted, Steve Young stayed on the field, but but he just didn't get the starts because of Joe Montana being there. But the way Steve Young progressed, I look at that, and that's one case, right? Like we're living back in there. And in his first 28 starts, he was not very good. He was Those included Tampa Bay starts. Part of that was the system around him. Part of that was just not playing enough. But I feel like there isn't one good, really good quarterback in the history of this league that was a finished product after 32 starts. And that's kind of like what bothers me is like, yeah, the injuries, they don't let us know what he really is. And if he had more than 32 starts, we'd get a more definitive answer, wouldn't we? Yeah. Okay. So that's not totally like my issues with him. I think even more so than that, like if it were just down to that, I would be fine with keeping him. But when you look at what he doesn't give you, right, he struggles to throw outside the numbers. He struggles Mm -hmm. to throw down the field. Um, You know, he struggled with mobility, like all these things where, you know, it's like, well, like, I, I, I like you and, you know, but everything has to be over the middle. Everything has to be between the numbers and between the hashes. Um, everything has to be in timing. He's not a guy that excels late in a down. Like, when you see those things, it's like, yeah, he's not, he's definitely not bad. But how much, like, w- okay, when you look at Steve Young, right? You brought up Steve Young and his, yeah, at least you knew, okay, extremely accurate, um, good arm. Good mobility, all things that like, hey, I can wait for him to 
improve on these things, on some of the things that he was bad at, right? Maybe slowing down, you know, his game and whatnot. When you look at even like Sam Darnold, I'd be willing to, if I'm, a, if I'm the Jets, I can wait a little bit longer than Sam Darnold because I know the things that he can do, he can do at a high level if it ever comes together completely, right? With Garoppolo, I, I don't want to say he's at his ceiling. I do believe that he can maybe become more efficient, but I don't know if he'll ever be a good downfield thrower. I don't know if he'll ever be able to drive balls outside the, the, the numbers. You know, those are things that I think regardless of how long he plays, he's going to have a little bit of a tough time with. And we've seen teams just start shrinking the field on them. And mm-hmm. all right, you don't want to throw outside the numbers. You really don't want to throw downfield. We're going to creep everybody up. We're going to make you throw super tight window throws. And in turn, he's actually thrown interceptions right to linebackers because they're forcing him to throw where they want him to. So that's kind of more of an issue to me. It's the, yeah, you... You, you are limited in experience and you can improve, but w- how much more are we going to see out of him because of his physical tools or lack thereof? So that's an interesting point you bring up with limitations. And I think there's some limitations that can be coached up and you can eventually turn those into strengths. Um, maybe not necessarily physical limitations, but other limitations that guys have maybe seen the field or anticipation or things like that, pocket presence that you can help. And I think there are certain limitations that you just can't, like you have to hide them. And I feel like what Kyle has done throughout the past couple of years, he's hid Jimmy's limitations. And I kind of like have the question in my mind going forward, like if, if and when Jimmy, they move off of Jimmy and they go with the next guy, is Kyle going to hide, continue hiding that quarterback's limitation or is, or is he going to keep developing them? And one example is this. So crack, when you played like in 2013, you were with, you know, when you were with the Jets, and it was, uh, who was, it was Thurman, right? That was a defensive coordinator there, Dennis Thurman? Yeah, Dennis Thurman. Yeah, so when, when, when you got there and, and, you know, if you had any limitations or anything like that, how did they deal with you? Did they try to coach those up or did they just kind of try to hide those in the defensive backfield? Like not, not only you, but like the other guys that were in the DB room. Well, the, <laughs> the guys, I mean, yeah, okay, so not so much with me because I'm not saying I didn't have any limitations. I wasn't the fastest guy, but I was fast enough. But I'll say like, um, Isaiah Trufant. There's three Trufants, so I'm trying to remember exactly what which first name. But anyways, he was a he was a small Trufant. He was only like five foot six, so he was a five six corner. So they didn't put him in situations where hey, we're gonna have you guard Stephen Hill on the outside, even though one on ones he would guard him and like lock him up. Stephen Hill is so bad, but um, it's like hey, you know you're you're only five six, 155 pounds. We're not going to put you in these matchups where it's not favorable for you. You know, you're just going to be a nickel slot guy. And he was a great on special teams. Um, typically, yeah, I guess there's a way to where that you have an idea in your head how somebody fits. But with Jimmy, sometimes you don't know exactly what that is until you see him more. Right. When they mm-hmm. traded for him, um, I'm pretty sure, you know, even then there was a small sample size on exactly what he was. There were a few. Um, yeah, obviously, you saw him in college. Uh, you saw a couple games in the NFL, but you don't truly know exactly what you can do until you get him and he gets a lot of reps with you. And I think the more reps uh, Kyle saw with him, the more he was like, you know what? I can scheme up something for him and he can do well in this. And I think that's what makes Kyle really good. I think with all his quarterbacks, he's able to do, you know, kind of scheme up what he thinks they'll do well at. But with Jimmy, I don't know how much he can improve on some of his shortcomings with, you know, when you're talking about arm strength and deep ball accuracy and stuff, maybe he can. I've heard uh, Chris Sims talk about it with something he does with his feet and he can clean some of this up and, and not be so much of a, a thrower of like, I guess he uses his upper body to throw more so than his lower body. And he doesn't really step mm-hmm. into his throws. Maybe he can improve on those things, but uh, he already got paid. So once mm-hmm. you kind of pay somebody and obviously it was a unique situation. I think your tolerance for those things and your patience kind of run a little thin. That's just kind of my opinion. I don't think if, if, if Garoppolo wasn't making $25, $26, 27000000 million a year, I don't think people would be nearly as harsh on him. Yeah, and with the patience comes, you know, he's turning the ball over. So I think Matt Mayoko said it, and he said it really well, where he's dinking and dunking, but he still has this high turnover percentage. So you're not getting any of the big plays, but you're still getting these negative plays. And it's it's 31 total turnovers for Garoppolo since since he's come to the Niners in 30 starts. It's a lot. 
and you mentioned the record crack and you're completely right. They're 23 and 24 since he became the starter in 2018. And you could bring up, well, well, Jimmy's not 23 and 24. Well, the team is because he can't stay on the field. And right. you, again, you mentioned losing patience. So let's look at 2016, his second start with the Patriots, he gets hurt. 2018, his third start with the Niners, he gets hurt. He's out for the year. 2020, his second start, he gets hurt and then he got hurt again. So how many other starting quarterbacks, franchise quarterbacks haven't played two out of the last three years? So you mentioned that that was a great thing to say. Like you're the, you're running out of patience with the turnovers and, and with the injuries. So that's that's it to me. It's the, the, the durability is not there. He's turning the ball over, and I think there's fifteen to other twenty other QBs in the NFL you could plug in to do what he's doing. You know, I don't I don't right. think he's I think he's a starter. He's a starter in the league, but I don't think he's anything special. I think a lot of guys can do what he's doing right now. I, I think Kyle said one thing that was you know like very understanding where he's like, Hey, you know, he kind of feels bad for Jimmy because he knows the more Jimmy plays, the better he'll be. Unfortunately, Jimmy has been injured a lot and he hasn't been able to have that time um, to gain that experience in that playing time and stuff like that. You know, like maybe Jimmy is further along if he never misses that first year and then plays last year. And, you know, maybe he does, you know, he is somebody better, but I think at this point, say if, if he's not who you think he's supposed to be, and you go into next year, I mean, you go into next year hoping he'll get better, but, he, but maybe he doesn't. Well, now, I mean, we're talking about year five for Kyle Shanahan, and he still doesn't have the quarterback situation figured out or any type of plan moving forward. Mm-hmm. That's extremely dangerous, you know, yep. for a quarterback entering his five years. So then now what is it like, okay, well, okay, after this fifth year, we'll, we'll get a quarterback. So now you're talking about year six, you finally try to address it with maybe a young guy, then now you have to wait for him to develop a couple more years, you know, it's just, I would get some reassurance now. And and that could be more than one way. It doesn't have to be a rookie. Maybe it is somebody like, you know, I talk about people with upside. Maybe it's uh, Trubisky and you don't bring him in to be a starter, but maybe you pay him to be a backup. And you maybe see if you can be get him to be more consistent if Garoppolo doesn't work out or Garoppolo gets hurt and Trubisky has to play and take over. And we've seen him play well on stretches. Um, just hasn't been as consistent, but you do know there's more talent there than what Garoppolo has from natural talent. So there's different ways they can go about it. But again, we're talking about a quarterback. It's not his first or second year, or third year in the league either. I mean, we're talking about somebody that has been in the league for a long time and still has very limited experience and still a lot of questions that are unanswered. Yeah. And I think that was one of the things that Al and I had discussed uh, a while back was that he was entering this year, and this is kind of a make-or-break year for him, so to speak, because we were expecting to make that big jump. Like Matt Ryan made that big jump in the second year of the Shanahan system in Atlanta, and we were like, "All right, like you know, Jimmy can make that that same jump because he's in, a, in the second full year of the Shanahan system, and he just never did because he could never stay on the field." So, going forward, I mean, Seacock, here's here's what I think is going to happen, and I'm I am terrible, notoriously terrible with my predictions. I predicted Niners to win the Super Bowl this year, so I mean that you can tell how bad I am with my predictions, but. The this is what I think is going to happen. I think there's a rift there. I think there's a rift between Garoppolo and the 49ers. I think that um, there's a little bit of animosity there, and there's nothing that tells me this. I just have a gut feeling about this. And all of this stuff by Kittle and and Shanahan and the media is, is them trying to like, all right, like we need to keep him not. We need, we need to make sure he's okay with us because if we need to run it back with him, we don't have another we don't have another plan B at quarterback. Like he's the plan. To go to go to QB next year, as of now. So, what I think is going to happen is this: I think that Jimmy refuse if they come to Jimmy to take a pay cut, he's probably going to refuse because that makes his contract more tradable, and they can send him to quarterback purgatory, whatever they want to send him, like Jacksonville or you know the Jets or someplace like that where he's not going to succeed. The Niners have a two point six million dollar cap hit if they just release him, they just outright release him um, after this year. So. I think he's going to angle to push for a release and he, where he's going to go is new England because they haven't been a quarterback. We've seen cam, like you tweeted out during the game, like what the hell is cam doing? And I saw, I went to look at the box score. I was like, what the hell is cam doing? Like what, what, what is going on? So, yeah. I mean, real quick, as an aside, have you ever seen an MVP fall off that big rock as cam Newton has? Man, you know, his body's just breaking down. And I had asked a question like, man, why does it look like, every pass he's loading up to throw a 50-yard pass, and then the ball only travels five yards. And people are like, (laughs) you know, I guess some of the injuries and surgeries he's had has developed, like, kind of his throwing motion, and he has to use more 
twerking his shoulders or hips or something like that just to push the ball five yards. And it's it's really crazy because, you know, we're talking about somebody who was a physical freak and, you know, was the first overall pick and rightfully so, like one of the most talented quarterbacks we've ever seen coming out from a physical standpoint. And he's just completely falling apart. It's really mm -hmm. weird to see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really weird to see. And it, and it kind of reminds me of like what I'm afraid of with Stafford, which I'll get to in a second, but Jimmy, I think he's going to try to angle for a release and he's going to try to go back to new England. And I think honestly, that's probably the best place for him. They understand him. They drafted him. Belichick knows him. McDaniels knows him. They need a quarterback. They don't like drafting quarterbacks early. So I think he's probably going to angle to do that or to go back home to Chicago. He's from there, right? They need, they may have a quarterback need. Trubisky is like, eh, he's not on, he's not on uh really solid ground there so we'll see but um i don't know what do you what do you think about that am i totally off base with that yeah well i i'll say this about like guys like trubisky and stuff like that one thing that kyle said that kind of jumped out to me was they're not gonna like the, the only way for them to improve over jimmy is to get a guy like stafford now again like you said you're going to touch on you know stafford has some of his little injury issues that he's kind of dealing with as well but you know it's that's the only way to really improve over Jimmy. Anybody else like Trubisky, I don't think Trubisky or anybody, I don't think they're like an upgrade over Jimmy. I think they have questions as well. And it's kind of like a, a, a let's see what this guy is type thing. So now nah, it's tough. And Kyle, I mean, he and, and John, like they got to make their money with, with their decisions this offseason, um, especially addressing the quarterback situation. Again, like, and we see what's going on with the 49ers and, you know, their win-loss record and whatnot. But at the end of the day, like, this is a quarterback-driven league. And if you don't really have that, yep. that position solidified, there's not going to be any long-term success. The 49ers, if they just had uh, a consistent Jimmy Garoppolo playing, Kyle's record would be drastically different. Mm -hmm. But they can't get, figure that out. And maybe some of it is on Kyle, right? I mean, you know, I see a lot of people kind of gunning for Kyle and saying, well, he's – He's not completely uh, innocent in this whole thing. And he's not, I guess, from a standpoint of maybe he could have invested a little bit more in a backup quarterback. But, you know, that's tough. Like, because then you lose out on, uh, you know, money that can go to other places. It's, it's a tough situation. And I don't know what, you know, the right or wrong thing to do is. But, man, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not a great situation because we, Al and I talked about this at the, at the beginning of the season. We're like, man or I guess a couple of weeks ago that we were saying that, man, we're be right back where we were like four years ago, like needing a quarterback and all these names are being thrown out. Stafford is one of them that I do want to talk about with you for just a second. So we know the injury history, you know, he's missed very few games, but he's entering his mid thirties now. And, he, and those injuries are starting to pile up. And in, uh, the head of orthopedic surgery, actually on Twitter for UCSF, um, he mentioned how he's basically like a, like a walking orthopedic clinic right now. Stafford is. Because he's had so many injuries and surgeries. Uh, is that something that you... Oh, uh, wait, who said that? So the, the head of orthopedic surgery at the University of uh, California, San Francisco. I saw yeah. it. I saw that. Yeah. Did you, I didn't see that. Zane, where do you find this shit on Twitter, man? I mean, he, <laughs> he, responded, he responded to somebody and just... It, I don't even think he was tagged or anything, but he just responded. Really? Yeah. I got to look this up now. Okay. Yeah. And he just responded like, Croc, do, do you... Like, are you as worried about that as I am? Not that like, I mean, we knew their injury history before and then the doctor comes in and he's like, he, he says all this stuff that, that adds on to it. But are you worried that these injuries are eventually going to add up in his elder years and, and Stafford's later years and he's going to start missing games? Yeah, well, okay. So the way I kind of look at it and obviously like we know the ideal. I, I mean, the idea of having Matthew Stafford and what he can do. Um, obviously, the injuries and everything definitely plays a part in how he looks going forward. If I am the 49er, I think if you are looking to acquire Stafford, it's really more so for the next two to three years. So if you can kind of find some type of replacement until then, I think you, you would do that. Like his injuries eventually kind of like what we've seen, seen from uh, Cam Newton. His body is starting to kind of break down a little bit. Now, it hasn't affected his play. I've, I've, I've looked at a lot of games from or, you know, especially highlights. I watch a lot of red zone on Sundays. He's making plays. He's making all the throws, crazy throws, downfield, big arm, all that. He had this crazy um, no-look pass. I don't know if you guys saw it. I saw yeah. that. I saw that. That was Yeah. Like, so he's still doing those type of things. But yeah. And I don't 
think he missed any games this year until he he got hurt early last week, and then he's gonna miss this game, I'm sure. But before then, he didn't miss any other games. But again, like you know, somebody like him that the injuries are kind of start, starting to take a toll. That's something you have to factor in and see if that's something that you're willing to deal with. Because at the end of the day, I mean, you're dealing with injuries from Garoppolo anyways. <laughs> so, right. uh, you, you know, it's just guys like that typically don't even come available, you know, if, if they aren't kind of dealing with certain things. And I think with Kyle, it's, that's going to be something he has to kind of figure out. Is this something we can work through? Um, I don't really know the answer to that. So this guy was Dr. Narav Pandya, and he said Stafford is a walking orthopedic surgery clinic, dislocated patella, shoulder separation, ligament injury in his throwing hand, ankle injury, rib injury, back injury, hip injury. His performance metrics are only pointing downward. I, I don't know. He, he, he's been really durable. I'm sure everybody <laughs> at 33 years old has a lot going on. You know how I feel about Stafford. I love him. Yeah. Whatever. Anyway, so. Hey, shout Proc- out to UCSF, though, Al. Shout out to UCSF for uh, the. the uh, data there maybe they should sponsor us <laughs> yeah I, yeah seriously i didn't even see that anyway all right croc before we move on from the quarterback because we could talk about this for four hours um one more real quick question have you had a chance to look at any qbs in the draft you know other than the obvious guys that you think might be a good fit um yeah i mean i've watched for the most part i've watched and kind of like have an idea of the top bot or well let's see so you got you got uh trevor lawrence i've watched a ton of him um zach wilson i've watched a ton of him uh, Trey Lance, uh, Justin Fields, uh, uh, Trask, Jones, and also uh, Desmond Ritter. Who do you like the best, other than Lawrence, out of those guys? Um, I, I, not not okay. So I'm somebody who actually likes to um, get an opinion for myself, and I really like when other people be like, "Oh, this guy is great, 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 great." I actually look for ways to kind of nitpick at his game, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. even then, I still come away came away like really impressed with Zach Wilson. So I think like, you know, outside of Lawrence, there's a lot to, to uh, Zach Wilson's game that I just really like. He has like this free way that he kind of plays. Um, it was Daniel Jeremiah who was like, Hey, it's kind of reminiscent of Aaron Rodgers." And I'm not saying he's Aaron Rodgers. I'm not saying he has, you know, Aaron Rodgers arm talent and all that, but that's really like, if you just kind of look at how he plays, it's very similar where he's just, he has just freeness about him, almost like Mahomes, but I don't think he has like the big, you know, arm like Mahomes, but just his ability to just make all these throws on the move. Feet doesn't have to be set. Um, he's not afraid of, you know, the moment to try to drive these throws in there. I'm watching him in college throw from one hash all the way outside the number to the other, um, outside the uh, far numbers, which we'll never see. We won't see that from Garoppolo. Like, I won't mm-hmm. even ask him to do stuff mm-hmm. like that. But this guy is just doing it on an everyday basis at BYU, where it's just easy for him. Or hash. In college, the hashes are super wide. And he's throwing those deep out. So even throws like that, where I'm like, man, that's really cool. His timing is really good. But like, you know, some young quarterbacks or some of these quarterbacks coming out that have a little bit more time, he can hold on to the ball, you know, a little long at times. But he's just, he's a playmaker. And I talked about that with Garoppolo, where the plays have to be kind of manufactured for him. With Zach Wilson, that's not the case. He actually makes the plays for you. The next position I'm pretty worried about this offseason is, is cornerback because there's just going to be so much transition in the Niners at a crossroads there. You got Verrett, Sherman, Williams, Witherspoon, all free agents. What's your opinion on what they should do there? Uh, yeah, man. Um, so... This is kind of how I would do it. It, it. I think in any other year where I didn't think that quarterback and trying to figure that out was as high as a priority, I would say definitely go corner first round. And when's the last time the 49ers have drafted a first round corner? Like Mike Rumpf, maybe? Or, oh, man, maybe. maybe. Yeah. It was probably um, Rumpf. Well, it might be Plumber. Plumber. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to look that yeah, up. It's probably Plumber uh, or Rumpf. Or yeah. McQuarters. Uh, there was like a, was it Shantae Spencer? I think he was a second round pick. I mean, these are all mm-hmm. guys that we're talking about. I mean, they've been long going out the league, right? Mm-hmm. So I think they definitely need to kind of put some resources towards that position and draft somebody with high-end talent. Um, when you look at the cornerback situation and how many guys will end up being, you know, free agents or restricted free agents, where it's the entire secondary. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's, 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 uh, 
It's everybody. It's Sherman. It's Witherspoon. It's Mosley. It's Barrett. It's Williams. It's everybody. So I definitely put a high priority on bringing back Jason Verrett. Uh, I think uh, Mosley is, he'll be back. He's a restricted free agent. That won't cost him much. And I would have to bring back Williams. Now he gets banged up here and there, but he's just so good when he's on the field and he, and he makes your defense so much better. And he's versatile with his blitzing and he has good coverage skills underneath. So that would be somebody that I would definitely have to try to bring back. Um, but, you know, he is getting a little bit older and whatnot. But, yeah, man, like the cornerback position, I, if, it, if, cor- if quarterback wasn't such so much of a priority in my head, that first round pick would probably go towards a Patrick Sertain or um, the kid from Virginia Tech or J.C. Horn, even um, Stokes, who nobody really talks about. But Eric Stokes Jr., um, from uh, Georgia, he's really good. So there are corners I definitely feel like can help the 49ers in the long haul. So the last cornerback, unless you count Jimmy Ward, the last cornerback they took was 2002 in the first round, Mike Rump. So wow. it's, it's been a long time. Listen up, sports bettors. This is Al Sacco here to tell you about my favorite sports book, and that's BetUS. Sports are all back, and that means it's time to get down your bets. I only endorse one sports book, and that is BetUS.com. Why, you ask? BetUS is the pioneer in online betting with more than 25 years in the biz. You need a sports book with integrity and longevity, and you need to know that you're going to get paid. You need a sports book that offers everything, including live betting, MMA, golf, horses, esports, entertainment, and all kinds of crazy prop bets and futures. Go to BetUS.com now and fill out your information. It only takes a minute. That's BetUS.com. When you get to the How Did You Hear About Us box, type in No Huddle Podcast and you can get up to 150% in bonuses on your first deposit. Nobody in the industry gives bigger bonuses than BetUS. 25 years in the biz, the best bonuses. BetUS should be your sports book. Join today. BetUS.com. That's B-E-T-U-S.com. Don't forget to type in No Huddle Podcast when you get there, betus.com. You, you mentioned Verrett. Obviously, he's been awesome this year. But does his injury hist- history worry you? I mean, I can, I, I'm terrible with contracts, but let's say they gave him like a three-year, I don't know, $27 million deal. It's got to be a year-to-year thing, right? I mean, you can't commit really more than guaranteed money for one season for him, can you? Right. And I think, I mean, shoot, I think I'm pretty sure even he understands that, <laughs> right? Um, right? You know, even with signing him, you know, he's, getting a little older you you would sign him with with the expectations of all right we're good with him for the next year or two we have to figure out a long-term plan whether it's on the other side of him or somebody behind him that can come in and play at any moment and we'd be comfortable with him having to start so you you sign him because you know he can play football and he's pretty good at it right he's kind of shown that definitely this year maybe not just this lockdown cb1 but we just saw him against uh, DeAndre Hopkins where he took on a, a big-time challenge and, and was up for it, played very well. Uh, but you definitely have to have a, something in place to eventually replace him, you know, or Mosley. But really, Mosley, Mosley wasn't really good this year. And it kind of gets overlooked a little bit. But, and he has some tough matchups. But his tough matchups, I mean, he gave him like 14 catches against the Cardinals week one. There was, and there were like two more games where he just, I mean, he gave up a crazy amount of catches and yards. And, you know, that's, that's not ideal. And I, I, I like him. I, I think he plays well. But I don't know if he's just some lock to be a starter moving forward. Like I think most people kind of view him. You want Witherspoon to get another shot? I would give him one year. But, I, I, you know, I would say, and okay, with Witherspoon, it's really weird because he does show the ability to play very well. Now, I kind of saw early on, and I, you know, I, I've seen it. He struggles against guys. He struggles against guys that are really good. You put him on a number two receiver, he's fine, and you won't have any issues with him. <laughs> but when he has to guard maybe a wide receiver one, he just does some weird things and uh, struggles to play the ball in the air most of the time. Um, we all, you know, we saw him get that interception last game, but you know that's kind of been a rare occurrence when you know, when it comes to him and how he's playing the ball in the air. So, I would it wouldn't be something that I commit to long term. And if I had to guess, or actually from what I've heard, 
Um, I would, you know, Robert Sala, Robert, you know, wherever Robert Sala goes, I'd expect uh, Witherspoon to follow him. From what I understand mm-hmm. and what I've kind of been told, the reason why he doesn't play a lot is because Kyle Shanahan doesn't like him. So, mm-hmm. um, okay. and I understand that if there's anything that we've known or learned from Kyle Shanahan, he's not this soft coddle you coach. Like if, if, if you're, if you're soft, he's going to run you out of there. We saw it with Pettis. We've seen it with other guys where they just don't last long. We saw year one with Navarro Bowman when he was complaining, it was like, all right, we'll get your ass out of here real quick. Um, they will get you out of there if you don't fall in line. And if you don't have a certain level of toughness. And, um, I think, uh, Witherspoon kind of falls under that same category of guys that haven't been as tough as they probably would like. That's just me kind of speculating a little bit. Although he did have a really good game and probably one of his best games since he's been here. Aggressive. He was, he, he wanted to hit. Uh, he had the interception in the end zone. Like it's like, it's almost like he does just enough to make you wonder about him. It's almost <laughs> like Jimmy on the offense, right? So it's kind of the same thing, isn't it? Yeah. I, I mean, I'd say, you know, Jimmy. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same because there are certain things about Jimmy. People kind of brush under the rug, but there were a lot of games last year where he was not playing well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've made all the excuses for him and everything. And, oh, he'll get better. He'll continue to get better. And I think we're kind of doing the same thing with Witherspoon where he'll show you, like, yeah, I can play. But then there's just, like, ah, little inconsistency, right? I mean, he played well. Was it the Cowboy game? He played well against the Cowboys, too, I believe. He did. So, you know, uh, Spoon definitely shows he can play. And, you know, I like him. You don't find a lot of corners like him who are 6'3", 200 pounds and move as fluid as he does and has the feet that he does and the range and the speed. He was a 4'4", guy. Like that's, he's, he's running. Like, he has good speed. But there's just something that makes him inconsistent. And I don't know what that is. And, uh, but, yeah, that's definitely uh, an issue. I feel like going into the draft and we're spending a lot of time talking about Witherspoon right now, but that's funny to me, but, but uh, I think going into the draft, uh, one of the knocks on him was he just wasn't tough enough. He, just he, he didn't want to make tackles. And I kind of, that's kind of followed him all the way to the NFL. Maybe that's why Kyle doesn't like him, like you said, because of the toughness factor. It's just like one of those things that you can't teach, right? One of those, those limitations that we talked about earlier that you can't really coach around. You can't really teach toughness, right? Like it just comes, kind of comes with the guy. Right. Um, some people, and, and I've said it, like, even with me, um, I was never like this just hard hitting corner or anything like that. But I kind of learned it. Like I, my rookie year in the AFL, I played with some guys and we kind of got this reputation as being like the bad boys. And those guys are hard hitters. And I'm like, damn, they're out here hitting hard. I guess I got to kind of change how I play. And I started hitting hard. <laughs> so um, <laughs> you can kind of get that in you if you buy into it. And we've seen it even with, with Spoon. We've seen it. It's just a little inconsistent, right? Um, I remember was his rookie year or the next year, and people were saying that about him, right, with his inability to, you know, play physical. And he, like, ran down the lane in the alley and just went head up with Adrian Peterson. I'm like, damn, that's not somebody that's soft. Like, what are you guys talking about? But I have seen him miss tackles. I have seen those things where he kind of ducks and maybe closes his eyes and some questionable things. So I think with him, it's just more so inconsistent than anything. But I think ultimately, like, when it comes to cornerbacks, to me, they can tackle. That's usually a plus. Like, at the end of the day, like, I pay you to cover guys. And even from that standpoint, he was kind of inconsistent. So I, I wouldn't care if he missed tackles here and there. And, okay, then he makes a tackle. Great. But can you cover? And if you are a shutdown corner, nobody's going to ever complain about your lack of being a big hitter at cornerback, right? But or sometimes you get both of the best worlds with like Jalen Ramsey, who's a terrific cover guy, and he'll put you on your ass too. Like, you know, so mm-hmm. it's uh, with Spoon, you definitely don't get both consistently. And I think that's part of the bigger issue. Yeah. And, uh, and like you said in the draft, like I love uh, Samuel Jr., I love Patrick Sertain. Get to, I'll get to his dad in our rapid fire section at the end of the, the show. But um, I want to talk about one possible outgoing corner and Richard Sherman. Uh, one of my favorite 49ers now, you know, he's been an absolute leader, a pleasure to watch. Looks like he's played his last game. He will not play the last game of the season against Seattle. He has a calf strain that's kept him out for most of the year. Uh, they looked pretty good without his presence there. They did try him at free safety. He said that he probably is gone. Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I, I think he's gone. <laughs> I mean, you know, what is weird. I've never seen somebody just kind of campaign to be released or let go not, or not be resigned, right? Most people say like, oh, you know, we'll see how it plays out. 
obviously he's smart, but it's like, man, like Sherman, maybe you're too smart for your own good. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, there's a way they pro- possibly could have brought him back. Even if it's not at cornerback, maybe it's at safety. Cause I mean, we've seen when they want to play man, they kind of put him at like a spy or like rover type position. Whereas mm-hmm. like, all right, uh, you can't really play man anymore. So we're going to put Boone out there and, and all these other guys covering you kind of just freelance and read the quarterback's eyes. That's kind of letting you know where he's at, um, you know, in his career right now. But, you know, I, I would have thought that maybe there's a way that they can work him out and, you know, at like a safety position, especially with them losing uh, Jaquiski Tart. And now nah, it's like he just doesn't – it sounds, seems like he doesn't even want to, like, have that conversation. Maybe he's upset with something with the 49ers. I don't know. But that was definitely very odd, something I haven't really seen before. And with him going out, we saw Robert Sala, who probably is going to leave now to become head coach for sure, the, the way that he's been coaching his last few games. Not that it was in, in any doubt before that, but he's bringing so many more different looks and blitzes and coverages now that Sherman is out. I feel like almost in a way, it's allowed them to play like a more diverse defense. And one of the ways that they contain Kyler Murray for the first time, actually, since since he's coming to the NFL, they, they were able to contain him and contain a running quarterback, something that they've had problems with was they were able to bring guys from the corner. Uh, we know that Salah loves the slot corner blitz. He, 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 he loves that call, calls out a lot. Kamon Williams comes, comes a lot. But for the first time, I saw him taking the boundary corners as well, like from both sides and blitzing those guys. Do you feel like going forward, I mean, that's something that if it's D'Amico Ryans that takes over for Salah, they can kind of continue with the guys that they have? Yeah, definitely. I- I'm glad you brought up D'Amico Ryans, right? Like there are a lot of people that are expecting Solid to leave, and people are like, well, what are they going to do at defensive coordinator now? Like, bring in uh, the guy from the Falcons. Bring in this guy. And it's like, no, like, dude, the best guys that are, like, you know, the best organizations, they develop guys from within, and they promote them. So you have to meet Ryan's, and I get it. He hasn't been a coach for a lot of years, right? I mean, he started with the 49ers, so, you know, four years ago. But linebackers, first of all, they – have a great understanding of everything that's going on defensively. When you're a defensive lineman, you don't really know what's going on in the secondary from a coverage standpoint. When you are a cornerback, you don't really know exactly how the front end works as far as like the pass rushers and all that, their stunts. But when you're a linebacker, you understand all of that. So I think that's why those guys are typically pretty, you know, smart, heady um, coordinators and stuff like that. And it comes kind of second nature to them. 49ers, man, you kind of are in this position where, you know, and I mean, you know, he'll interview and everything, but hopefully they give him a shot. So I kind of wanted to say that because he understands the players. He understands what Salah is asking to do. I mean, he meets with him. Salah, you know, also is a linebacker coach by nature. So I'm pretty sure they have a ton of conversations there. D'Amico Ryan, I don't know how much input he's had on these linebackers, but that's been the 49ers' most consistent, best position group. Yep. Consistently, they played very well. So that says a lot about maybe who he is and his ability to kind of get through to his players. So, yeah, man, like I'm pretty sure whatever he's seeing Salah do, a lot of guys, they'll take what they learned from him, kind of put their own little twist on things and do things that they like. And, and yeah, I, I think that he'll, he'll be fine. Like I, I don't – and everything – because remember, he's growing with Salah. Salah was a first-time coordinator as well. and. D'Amico Ryan has been there for the entire time. So I'm pretty sure he's been looking. They've been growing together, having conversations. What do you think about this, that play calling, all that? Everything that Salah has grown into and has developed into as a play caller, D'Amico Ryan has been there for the entire time. And I bet he understands everything like the back of his hand. I don't mm-hmm. think there will be that much of a transition. I think, he'll again, he'll add some things that maybe he wants to do or likes to do. But I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't have a lot of input in the, uh, the play script and everything right now. Yeah, and we've known for a year that Salah's probably going to be on his way out the door, and the Niners have too, so you would think that they would be grooming someone to at least take on a bigger role if, if they're not the defensive coordinator. And like you said, I know Dan Quinn is like you know the sexy name or the big name or whatever, but yeah, if Ryan's got that job, I wouldn't be disappointed at all. I think, I think he'd be a great hire, and I think it could go that way for sure. Um, all right, the other position I'm a little bit worried about is cornerback, quarterback, now, wide receiver, and I'm not worried about the one two, obviously, because you got Ayuk had a tremendous rookie season, and, and we know what Debo can do. And I'm looking forward to seeing Debo be more than a gadget player. I'd like to see him make some catches downfield. But after that, again, cupboard is pretty barren. I know you're a KB guy, Croc. I know you love Bourne. 
my only thing with Bourne is I think he's a good role player. Uh, I think he's a good, you know, he's, he's a good fourth receiver to have on the team. But the, the negatives that I'm starting to see with him, the offsides, you know, he has the drops, he has the mental lapses. That that kind of scares me with him a little bit. But they need a three and four and, and, and probably a fifth receiver, I think. Do you like guys like Ricky James, Richie James and Bourne? Do you think they should come back or do you think the Niners got to go outside here and start looking for other help? Okay, first, let me defend myself a little bit with the whole Richie, uh, with the whole uh, Kendrick Bourne thing. I, I, I'm with you guys. Like, I, I think Kendrick Bourne is a solid wide receiver three, and he's best suited as a fourth option. So, you know, I do the whole justice for Kendrick Bourne thing, but that's just for people to kind of like take him serious. Man, I think he's good in his role. Not saying that I think he should be like a wide receiver one or go to guy for anybody. I just think he is what he is, and he's a solid third or fourth option. I think you can do a lot worse than what he gives you, which typically is good consistency. Has a weird game, you know, uh, once a year. He has a weird, really weird game. We saw it um, when he dropped, what, three or four passes in one game. We saw it the previous year against the Seahawks when he dropped a couple passes, one that ended up being intercepted. But more so than not, I think he's been really solid in his role. He's come through in the clutch plenty of times, big games, big moments against the Saints. Uh, Two-third downs, he's catching touchdowns. Um, he's he bailed Grapple out multiple times in the Vikings game where a ball was fluttering. He went up and got mm-hmm. it. Another one mm-hmm. high and behind him over the middle. Also caught the uh, touchdown in, in the Vikings game. So I think he he makes a lot of plays and people just notice, oh, well, no, he dropped two passes against the Seahawks. He sucks. Like, it's like, come on, man. But um, so that's why I always kind of push the whole Jessica Kendrick Bourne thing. But yeah, you are spot on. I've kind of done these little mock drafts and every mock draft I've done, I've drafted two receivers. I think the 49ers need it. Can't count on Jalen mm-hmm. Hurd. We'll see what he'll end up being. But Hurd, Jennings, uh, I, I don't know. I can't count on that going into next year. Richie James, he's fine, but uh, he doesn't – he hasn't really been able to see the field. So over somebody like Bourne, who was an undrafted guy, and somebody who, you know, Richie James being a draft pick, typically you have a little bit more um, uh, when it comes to the whole politics thing. Usually you'll see those guys more. Hasn't really been the case. So um, I worry a little bit with Richie James, and I think he has a good ability, and I think he definitely can play. Um, we saw that a little bit with the Eagles game when he had the opportunity. I mean, he was the only guy out there, and he had a huge game, 180 yards or whatever. But, um, yeah, man, I would, I would definitely draft. I would draft two guys. And, and the reason why I would draft two guys is because there's been one thing that we've seen with the 49ers. They have gotten a lot of production out of rookie receivers. now. I will say, obviously, it hasn't, maybe sometimes it hasn't been sustainable, right? When you look at Trent Taylor, he started dealing with injuries and stuff. Dante Pettis, he's dealt with some injuries, then he started being really weird and whatnot. Um, But they have gotten solid production out of rookies every year that they've been there, whether it was Kendrick Bourne, solid production. Um, Debo Samuel, solid. Um, I I already talked about Pettis, Taylor, because Pettis still caught for what, almost, what, 400, 500 yards or something like that? That's solid. Yep. Um, uh, Trent Taylor had over 40 catches his rookie year. That's solid. IU having what almost 800 yards and another however many rushing yards and several touchdowns, like solid rookie year. So they've done actually very well getting production out of guys their rookie years. I would get two rookies, bring them in, have them compete with seeing the field with Jalen Hurd and um and uh, uh, uh Jennings. And I know what I'm getting from Kendrick Bourne. I mean, not Kendrick Bourne. Excuse me, uh, uh Brandon IU. And Debo Samuel. So you have your one and two guys. You got to find that third guy that can be consistent, kind of like what we've seen from Kendrick Bourne. Where are you in this whole McGlinchey thing? Oh, man. He's, he's very inconsistent. There's a lot of inconsistency going on right now, right? For a yep. team that's like, <laughs> is so good and plays so well, and even they're competing with so many injuries, they're doing it despite a lot of guys being inconsistent with their play. And, and he's one of them. I think with him, the one thing I've noticed, kind of like Garoppolo, right? Garoppolo has these things where I'm like, ah, will he ever really be able to throw, you know, outside the numbers? Will he ever be able to, you know, be a good deep ball thrower downfield? Well, McGlinchey, he's so tall. I think sometimes there's there's a couple of things going on. One, he's kind of stiff, right? Where we look at Trent Williams, who's, you know, he's like a dancing bear out there, really good feet, really athletic. McGlinchey's the opposite. He's really big, and if it comes right to him, He's able to block a guy. But if he has to move left or right, he gets off balance. That's when he gets knocked down. I've watched some games where, because I um, for the Scouting Academy, 
I specifically watched him for like four games um, in 2019. And he was so bad early on. And then I watched later in the season, he was better. He was more consistent, but he can kind of get bullied. I think because he's so tall, guys are really able to get underneath his pads. And, you know, you guys know the saying in, in football, low man wins, where mm-hmm. it is hard for him to be the low man because he's so tall. And he kind of gets pushed back and kind of gets lifted off of his feet and doesn't have a good anchor. So he's kind of dealing with that, where that's something I don't think is going to change. Now, what he is, he's a good run blocker. Why is he a good run blocker? Because typically the guy is right in front of him, right? It's like, you're right in front of me. I just need to grab you and move you. But if a guy moves left or right and he has to adjust on the fly, that's when it it gets really ugly with him. So I don't know what they're going to do with him. It sounds like if I had to guess, they're going to pick up his fifth year option. And I'd say it's not the worst thing in the world. Well, like we've seen other guys come in, like uh, school and these guys, where it's like, dang, you you're just giving up sacks and sacks and sacks and hits, and he's not playing that bad. But he just has these weird plays about two or three times a game where it's not ideal. But outside of that, I think he plays well enough to where he's not an, a major issue. Are you super worried about the right side of the offensive line, like basically center everything center right? You know, I, so they say that the center is the most important position, and the 49ers have had to play without. Richburg, who I don't know how well he played, but I know he's supposed to be a kind of a guy that makes everything go. And they say if the center is good, then that helps out the right guard and, you know, the tackle, he kind of just has to do his thing. So I don't know if the right guard play, which, you know, maybe usually somebody like Compton or Brunskill would be just fine if your center is really good. But maybe since the center position has kind of been shaky, that makes the right guard position shaky as well. Um, I don't know this for certain. I'm not like just some offensive line guy, but that's just things I hear. And when you look at the 49ers and kind of some of their issues they've had, it seems like it stems from not really having that guy at center. So, and there's a debate basically about this, that quarterback play can improve your offensive line play or mask it. And to me, I think there's, there's limitations to everything. I think that there are situations where a quarterback can mask a lot of play. Like we saw with Steve Young in the nineties after he won the Super Bowl. The offensive line wasn't that great. It was, it was it was okay, but it wasn't elite. It wasn't like that Dallas offensive line, right? He would get injured, he would get banged up, he would get hit. Same thing with Russell Wilson in Seattle, right? Like I feel like if he had a better offensive line, he'd probably have a couple more rings on his finger, honestly. Right. Um, but there's limitations to that in the sense that having a really good quarterback that can mask some of your pressure won't change the fact that player X like sucks on the offensive line, right? It'll mask it. It'll band-aid it. So I really feel like this offseason, they've got to address the offensive line as well. That's another position group that needs to be changed or improved along with QB play, right? Because like if you get, for example, let's roll with the Stafford thing. If you got Stafford, he comes here with that injury history. And granted, he's never missed like a ton of games, but he comes here with all those injuries that he has stacked up. He plays behind a shaky offensive line, and then he's risk, he's risking more injury at that point, right? So I feel like, like am I off base here by, by thinking like that? No, nah, well, you know, I think the bigger issue with it is the, and, and, you know, obviously a mobile quarterback isn't going to mask everything, like you said, but the, the quarterbacks for the 49ers, especially like Mullins, his pocket presence kind of sucks. So he doesn't help the situation. There is times where, um, I want to say in the Dallas Cowboy game, Demarcus Lawrence came off the edge. Um, against McGlinchey and knocked the ball out of Mullins' hands. But it's like, Mullins, like, you're a quarterback. You need to slide slide up a little bit in the pocket. Like, you can slide up half a step and then throw the ball. Instead, he goes right to where the quarterback is, uh, where the defensive end's kind of aiming point is. And that hurts. That hurts the, the tackle. You got to be able to step up and help him out. And good quarterbacks do that. And obviously, like, uh, Mullins just doesn't do that at all. All right, before we get on to the rapid fire Zane wanted to do, I, I got to bring up Jeff Wilson Jr. Because he, he's just, just one of my favorite players to watch right now. Love what he's done in his two starts this season. He's got 39 carries, 295 yards, and four touchdowns in those two starts. And for the season, he's got 106 carries for 524 yards and eight total TDs. Mostert had 104 carries for 521 yards and three total TDs. So as a combination, these two have had a pretty nice year together. Croc, are you comfortable going into next season with those two as your one-two at running back? Yeah, I think if they didn't have any like other pressing needs, that might be a position where I would definitely look to upgrade at or a- address. 
But I think for the most part, you know, with those guys, they they run hard, they run good. If they can just kind of, I mean, what the hell is going on with these high ankle sprains all year? You know, I just got never seen anything like it. I've never seen anything like it. And I've had a high ankle sprain, man. I think hurts. But um, you just hope they don't get any high ankle ankle sprains again. (laughs) And uh, if they can do that, like you have a really good backfield, I think. Um, if they can just stay relatively healthy, like now you're a running back, so they're not going to just go through the whole season and be just a okay the whole time. But you would like for them to just don't be hurt all at the same time. And if that's the case, they've all shown that they can, you know, they can be good and carry the load. Rock, how long were you up for with a high ankle sprain? Just curious. Um, it was. Shoot, I missed the rest of the year. I got no hurt, and this was the first time I ever got hurt. Like, I've never in my entire life missed a game. And mm-hmm. then um, my last year playing football, this was in Arena Football League, um, I had a high ankle sprain week 12. And I think what kind of, like, hurt me the most is that they didn't know it was a high ankle sprain at first. They just thought it was a regular ankle sprain. Mm-hmm. And they had me, like, practicing on it. And it was, like, terrible. Like, I was, like, randomly collapsing. Like, not collapsing as if I'm, like, passing out, but just randomly falling down. Um, I could run straight, but I couldn't run sideways. I couldn't cut or anything at all. I'm trying to backpedal out there. And I'm like, man, something is wrong. They're like, oh, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. So they taped it up the next game. They shot me up. And I was able to get through a game. They just put me in this position that's kind of like a strong safety type position, I guess you could say, to where, like, I didn't have to do a whole lot of, like, backpedal, turning and running. And then it was just even worse after that. And I was just like, something's wrong, y'all. So they went, they took me to get an x-ray. And basically I had like a small fracture in there. And yeah, high ankle sprain had some ligament damage. And um, I missed the rest of the year. And I didn't really feel well. I remember even after that year, I was trying everything to come back. I wasn't able to come back. And I just remember playing pickup basketball. I, I barely could kind of like jump. Again, I think a lot of it, I wasn't dealing with an NFL training staff. And I wasn't getting like a treatment around the clock. So I maybe kind of hurt myself in my recovery process. But it was something where like, it's not like a regular ankle sprain. Yeah, I think a lot of our listeners and a lot of people, a lot of 49ers fans don't understand like the, the whole gravity of like what a high ankle sprain is. They're like, oh, it's just an ankle sprain. It's not. It's like your whole lower leg, like below the knee. Like it's like the whole thing is sore. It's hurting. You, like you said, you can't move laterally. It's not, it's not like a simple injury. And I don't think people understand that. Right. Yeah, it's not. It's it's a totally different thing. And you kind of, it's tough. You got to get that treatment around the clock. And it is something you can come back in four weeks. Now, I am a little surprised at Garoppolo because quarterbacks, you don't have to do as much side-to-side movement. So I would assume with treatment around the clock, after about four weeks, I would think a quarterback would be just fine coming back. Now, a skill position player, like a running back who has to run, cut, explode, get tackled, all that, I would assume maybe a couple more weeks. But I am surprised Jimmy has missed as much time with it as he can. And I will say this. When I had an ankle sprain, I thought my ankle was broken. Mm. Like, I thought I broke my ankle. (laughs) Like, it was so bad. And to see Jimmy finish the first half and, like, he's like, well, maybe it's his adrenaline. And then jog into the locker room i'm like that's not a regular high ankle sprain like, i think he's fine like i didn't think he was gonna miss any time and sure enough i guess they said it was but he came back kind of early and i'm like well of course he came back early because i've had a high ankle sprain maybe my situation was just different but any anybody else you see get a high ankle sprain dudes are hobbling off the field remember uh Ruben foster got one like right. he thought he was done right for the year it looks so bad Typically, like guys aren't just walking off and jogging off the field on a high ankle sprain. So I thought he would be fine. I don't know. It's been really weird that whole thing with him. And maybe that's why Kyle pushed him to come back early um, before. Maybe Kyle was like, dude, you're not hurt like that. And then he kind of got hurt against Seattle. I don't know. It was, it was all kind of weird. I mean, this is maybe one of those things we're going to find out maybe years from now. It's going to come out that actually, yeah so-and-so thing wasn't correct about this and it'll just something will come out like sometimes stuff happens like that we don't hear about for years and then like later on down the line after everybody's gone and the, the dust is so we hear about it but i feel like it's gonna be one of those things but uh croc to finish up here so we're gonna do something called rapid fire and just like the name says i'm gonna throw something out at you and just tell me the first thing that you think does that be one word answer just your thoughts on what i what i mentioned pretty simple right yeah so 
Um, I'm going to give you my top three cornerbacks, uh, underrated cornerbacks um, of all time. And these three guys, like, they are not necessarily like Hall of Famers. They're just three guys I really liked. And we'll start with your top three cornerbacks. I'll give mine first, and then uh, let's hear yours. Uh, actually, sorry, top, I'll give you my top four. So number one, Sean Springs. Um, second, Sam Madison. Third, Patrick Sertain, senior. And number four, Bobby Taylor. Nice. Let's hear yours. All right. Um, Deion Sanders, Champ Bailey, Charles Woodson, and I want to get a new school guy. So I'll say Jalen Ramsey. I really okay. like watching Ramsey play. You, you hit me with all the goats, man. You hit me with all the greats. I hit you with a bunch of underrated guys. <laughs> I know, like, but those are guys they? I grew up on. And the crazy thing is Charles Woodson was in my comments yesterday. No way. And I didn't even respond to him because I was so like, oh, my God, it's Charles <laughs> Woodson. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I had a – I hate the Raiders, but I had a Raider poster with Charles Woodson on my door as a kid. Mm. Yeah, he was he was like – Charles Woodson was like, you know, in terms of swag, like we talk about – like you and I talked about this on Twitter, right? Like he, his swag game was just like – him and Dion were just like right up there. Charles Woodson and Dion were like right up there. All right, so um, if I had to, I, I'll, I'll try to throw in like a more underrated guy that I really liked. I'll say Fred Smoot. Oh, um, yeah. I really liked Fred Smoot growing up. That was kind of like maybe an underrated guy uh, that I kind of grew up just watching, watching him at Mississippi State. I even took a picture with my thumb up like him because I saw him in the picture with his thumb up. So I'll mm -hmm. say, yeah, that's kind of an underrated guy, I guess, that nobody else probably would ever bring up <laughs> Fred Smoot. <laughs> I remember Fred Smoot. He patterned his game after Dion, too, even with the number and everything. Like Dion was his idol. All right, um, Rex Ryan. Like what about like? So I just tell you about him, or yeah, man. Give me, give me what first thoughts on Rex Ryan. Great, dude. Dude was an amazing coach. The the best coach I've ever been around. All right, uh, tell me who threw the prettiest deep ball you ever seen. Ooh, prettiest deep ball. Ah, okay. Hold on. Let me think about it. Let me think about it. Prettiest deep ball. Yeah, I don't know. I can't think of it off the top of my head. That's a tough one. I got one for you, Jeff Blake. Ah, yeah. Warm Moon. I'll say Warm Moon. That was a okay. really good deep ball throw. Absolutely. Jeff Blake, yeah, Jeff Blake and Warm Moon, two of the best. I mean, I remember watching these guys, and, like, you know, you watch NFL primetime after, like, you know, after all the games as a kid. You'd see Jeff Blake and Warm Moon throw the ball out of the screen, like, during the highlight, and then it would end up, like, 50 yards down the field, breaks, just right in the breadbasket. Just yeah. beautiful, beautiful deep ball throwers. All right. Yeah. Um, craziest teammate. Oh, okay. Um, okay, so I, I won't even say a teammate, right? Craziest, I'll say the craziest person I've ever been around on a football field. And it's a kid. I just coached him last year. One of the most fearless kids I've, or people I've ever seen, one of the most fearless tacklers I've ever seen. You know, I, I know you guys have seen these like uh, clips of Buddha Baker coming downhill, mm -hmm. not stopping, running through guys. Well, I had a kid that did that. And I was just so impressed with that. One of the hardest hitters. I've ever seen his name is Artie Taylor. Now I always say that one of the hardest hitters I've ever seen. And he's, he was just a kid. But uh, when I say kid, I'm talking about 17, 18 years old, but flying around, no matter how big you were or small, he was going to, it was like, he aimed through you. Like he aimed on the other side of you. And I just thought like to do that and have that mindset, you have to be a different type of person. And Artie Taylor, like he, he was that. That's fantastic. That's really cool. Uh, one sentence to describe and Antonio Cromartie? Um, very helpful and informative. He's one of those guys that you still talk to now, right? Yes. Yeah. He just seemed like that was one of those guys that when he was in San Diego, like he just, he was just elite. Just like we remember the returns, the athleticism, that the one handed interceptions, all this stuff. He was, he was one of those guys. I would put him on the underrated list, but like I feel like he is too good to be underrated. Like people, people knew, knew Crow, people knew him. He was, right. uh, you know, pro, yeah, made multiple Pro Bowls. I want to say he made an All-Pro as well. Um, really good. Really good teammate, too, um, for the DBs. I don't know if the offensive guys would say the same, but as far as <laughs> DBs, really, really good teammate. All right. So, um, all right. So, a couple more. Um, hot takes on Twitter or balanced opinions? I'm more of a balanced opinion guy because I try to be, like, realistic. Like, I don't want to, like, give hot takes and stuff like that. Like, I might every once in a while say something. And a lot of times it's just how I feel, but it's really, it's not, I don't, I don't do things to get a reaction. I'll just say my thoughts and how people, however people kind of feel about it, that's how they feel. But typically I think people really mess with me like that. Cause they know like 
I don't just say any random stuff or anything to get clicks or anything to try to make myself more popular or anything like that. I really just kind of give takes that I think that are really thoughtful and um, make sense. And yeah, I'm not, I'm not a hot take type guy. Yeah. I think Alan, I appreciate that about you. I think that's why oh, we yeah. like interacting with you so yeah. much. Like I like the you, rational takes. I like the yeah. rational takes. I like people who know what they're talking about. Yeah. All right. Last one. All right, Croc, better holiday. Christmas or New Year's? Christmas. Yeah, the uh, presents, man. The presents. Well, I'm a, I'm a family guy. So, like, okay. I don't – I actually, like, I'm a homebody. I like being alone throughout the year and stuff like that. Like, you know, I'm, I'm good with that. Um, but Christmas, Thanksgiving, I like to be around family. Typically, New Year's, I'm not around family. Like, maybe my wife and kids or whatnot. But Christmas, that's time, you know, get to be with the grandparents and stuff like that. So, I kind of – yeah, I really like Christmas. Fantastic. Thanks, man. Yeah, I, I know, uh, you know, it's been, it is family time now. You're taking time to talk to us, but, uh, you know, it's funny. I go to Stockton every once in a while just to, just to do some stuff. And like the 209 misses you, man. The 209 misses you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 209, I don't know if I'm ever coming back not to live. I really like it out here, dude, for real. And I never thought, never thought I would say that. Never. And you're in Ar- Arkansas, Monticello, right? Right now? Yeah, Arkansas, Monticello. It's funny you say it like that. I remember um, when I was with the Jets, Tim McDonald. Tim McDonald was my defensive back coach. Oh, nice. And, okay. um, and Tim McDonald was like, uh, Croc, where is Arkansas Monticello? And I'm like, oh, just Monticello, Monticello. <laughs> but um, I am in Arkansas Monticello, and it's a different way of living here, man. Like, my life has slowed down a ton. Um, a lot of the things that we deal with in California, where there's all these crazy prices and all those things, I don't deal with here. Like everybody's really like happy, maybe because they're not stressed out about bills and whatnot. Um, you know, I've gotten into like training athletes and, and opening up my own training facility. So that's been great. And uh, yeah, man, I mean, it's just in like this guy is like, hey, man, you know, you want to buy some acres of land? I'm like, yeah, I'll buy some acres of land, like build a house on some. I mean, it's just a totally different way of living. They're like, they're taking me to farms. I'm going four wheeling, you know, four uh, riding four wheelers. Um, going hunting, duck duck hunting, deer hunting, all that. So it's just a different way of living, man. But everybody's like really chill, and I'm like, man, this is this is like my speed, you know, because I'm I'm such a homebody and everything. I, I really appreciate this this lifestyle. And those small school boys, they they come to play, man. Those small school kids, man, they they want to play. Like I remember when I was in college, and uh, there's a school in Idaho called Lewis and Clark State, and mm-hmm. it's in Lewiston. And I don't know if you've heard about, it. you probably have, but like yeah. these these boys, man there were guys like that were rejected from other programs that didn't get scholarship offers because they had some sort of off field stuff. Every single one of them was a player and the coach was an absolute dog. And every time we played them, man, I'm like, we got to play these guys again. Like every time, like just small school kids, man, they just want to play. Yeah. If you can get kids to buy in, that's a great thing. Sometimes there's kids that, you know, especially like, you know, you talk about like, cause out here there's, you know, U- UAM is a, is a division two program. That's where I played at. Mm-hmm. You'll have some kids that are bounce backs from these, you know, Auburn or whatever. And, you know, it's like they feel entitled, like, oh, I shouldn't be here. Like, I'm above this. And it's like, nah, dude, like, you're exactly where you should be. So sometimes you have, like, guys like that that feel like they're above it. But the kids that, like, really buy in and and especially when you go to a good program, like the one you're talking about, um, it's a beautiful thing. And everybody ends up having a good time. All right, Croc, we appreciate the time today, man. You can find him on Twitter at Eric underscore Crocker and at Crocker Report. And the website is crockerreport.com, right? Yes, sir. All right, man. Thanks so much for the time, Croc. We appreciate it. All right, guys. Anytime. All right, man. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Have a happy new year. For Zane, this is Al. Happy new year.